good to be in the house of God. Are you ready for the word tonight? Philippians chapter 1. I would love to have you guys join me there for the next few moments. This is completely unrelated to what we'll be talking about in a few moments, but it is absolutely related to the opportunity we have before us in opening God's word. Listen to what Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says, Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. We have an opportunity to sow righteousness so that we will reap steadfast love. And my prayer as we encounter God through His Word together is that He would break up the fallow ground of our heart, and as we seek Him, that He would come and rain righteousness upon us. Everybody say, let it rain. Let it rain. you got to say it like you want it to rain inside the building, not just outside of it tonight. Let it rain down in this place tonight. God, your righteousness upon us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Being a Good old southern boy. I was raised like a lot of you probably were to have good manners. To say yes sir, to say yes ma'am, to say please and thank you and excuse me, to hold the door open for people as they walk through, to chew with my mouth closed. Which by the way, if you're one of them people that smack, shame on you. Don't do it at the table that I'm at. Chew with your mouth closed. Not to point or stare. Or put my elbows on the table. To have good manners. And if there were ever times that I was misbehaving or not being polite, I would hear what's probably a familiar expression for a lot of you also. Trey, mind your manners, son. It was a reminder that I was living or acting or speaking in a way that wasn't appropriate or expected of me. Paul told the people of Philippi, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, which sets the framework for our new series that I need your help in introducing. So turn to someone beside you and tell them to mind your manners. You've got to mind your manners. So what does a life worthy of the gospel look like? What were Paul's intentions in saying that? Because it's not that we're ever worthy or deserving of the gospel, right? It's not that Jesus looked down upon this earth and decided to send someone to cross your path to share the gospel with you that you might encounter him and receive salvation because he saw something in your life that was worthy or deserving of that. He didn't look down and see some specific ability or giftedness that made him think that you were desirable to be in his kingdom so that he could use you for the furtherance of it. That's not why the gospel was spoken into our lives. We're not worthy of the gospel. So that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is as people who have heard and received the gospel and are now citizens of heaven, behave the way citizens of heaven are supposed to behave. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he said something very similar to that church there when he says, walk worthy of the manner of the calling that you have received. I want us to make sure that those of us who are citizens of heaven are minding our manners. And to do so, we've got to know what this kind of life looks like. What are the expectations? 
So let's get to our teaching text for tonight, which is in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 12. God's Word says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So as Paul is writing this letter to these believers, he's doing so from prison. So that's what he's speaking to in verse 12, the situation that he's in. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Gospel people... If you're note takers, write this down. If you're not a note taker, write this down. Gospel people are to be confident people. This life that we have been given is to be lived with a manner of confidence. But listen to me. Properly placed confidence. So for the first installment of this series, I want us to focus on the subject of confidence in all the right places. Paul finds himself in what will become a familiar place throughout the course of his life, which is a prison cell. But as we read his words, can you not sense that he has this obvious confidence about him, even in unsure circumstances? It's not that Paul was just serving a little bit of jail time for causing some trouble within the city. Paul's life was quite essentially hanging in the balance at this moment. While he's sitting inside this prison cell, he's not sure if they're going to decide to let him go, to make him stay longer, or to just drag him out and have him executed for the things that he was doing, which was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. But even in the midst of their circumstances, he has this obvious and out front confidence about him. How? How can he have such confidence even in the midst of such dire and unsure circumstances? Well, it's because his confidence is found in and fueled by the right places. We as God's people, as citizens of heaven, are to live confidently. But to live with a manner of confidence, here's the first thing that you need to understand. It must be built on the Messiah. Go back and look at verse 12 with me. Real quick, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord. Paul, as well as these other believers that he alludes to, have put their confidence where? In the Lord, in the Messiah. Paul is in prison, but he's confident 
in the Lord. These brothers know that he's there and they know why he's there, but after seeing what's happening, they're confident in the Lord. Let me ask you something. Do you have a confident faith or a cautious faith? Do you as a man or woman of God have a confident faith or do you have a cautious faith? Because it seems to me that so many believers, instead of stepping with assurance, are tiptoeing with anxiety. So instead of, I am a child of God, I am made new, I do have a high calling, I will live for His glory, it's more like, I don't know if I can do that. I just really don't want to disappoint him. I don't necessarily think he could ever use me anyway. And so a people who are supposed to be living with determined confidence are instead living with doubtful consciences. How many of you, and it's a participation question as we get started How many of you on a fairly consistent basis are having your life flooded with various doubts? Any takers? Well over half the room. This is why we're talking about confidence in all the right places. The reason why we're talking about confidence in all the right places is because of our tendency to put it in all the wrong places. A lot of our doubts, let me see if I can help you with something tonight a little bit. A lot of our doubt is the product of us building our confidence on shaky foundations that cracked and crumbled under the weight of something that it should have never been carrying. So a lot of times what we do with our confidence is without realizing it, we put it into places that it's not supposed to go. So some of you without realizing put a certain level of confidence upon your family and your family crumbled and along came your confidence with that. Some of you put a level of confidence in your friends around you and as your friends crumbled, your confidence came down with it. Some of you, probably not so much at this point in your life because you're a bunch of poor college students and after you get done with this, you'll just be a bunch of poor young adults for the most part. But at some point in time, you'll probably face the temptation to put your confidence in finance and eventually finance will crumble and with that, your confidence will come down with it. Some of you might be tempted later on in life as well to put your confidence in a spouse and in a moment where your spouse crumbles, your confidence will come down with that As well, some of you might be tempted to put your confidence right now in your ability, but when your ability fails you and crumbles and does not get you to the level that you thought that it would or attain to the places you thought it could get you to, your confidence crumbles down with it. See, the problem is we built it in the wrong place. Paul would say later on in this letter in Philippians chapter 3, In verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul makes it very clear later on in this letter, I don't put my confidence in my flesh. My confidence belongs and is built in Christ Jesus. But also at the very beginning of this letter, in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says this, I'm sure of this, that he, let me say it again, He, let me put an emphasis on the he, that he who began a good work and he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence was firmly built upon and established in Jesus and Jesus alone. And when it's built on the proper foundation, go back and look at verse 19 real quick. I got to show you this. For I know that through your prayers, remember Paul's in prison. 
For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, there he is again. It's funny how he keeps popping up in Paul's confidence. This will turn out, this will turn out for my deliverance. When your confidence is built on the proper foundation, you can have confidence even in chains. Build your confidence on the Messiah, on Jesus. Because his promises, his plan, his purposes will never crumble. And once you have your confidence built on the Messiah, then we can only improve it from there. So now that my confidence is built on the Messiah, it increases because I'm certain of the message. Chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter 1. <laughs> it's not even 14 chapters in Philippians. So good luck finding that one. Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, the second half of the verse is what we're going to concentrate on right here. He says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. After seeing what had happened to Paul and how, in spite of that, the gospel was still pushing forward, these other believers became even more bold and spoke the word or spoke the message, spoke the gospel of Jesus without fear. So even seeing Paul in this circumstance, after seeing how God was taking that circumstance and using it for his glory and putting the gospel in places so that it could be shared in areas that had never had been shared before and people were coming to experience salvation in Jesus Christ, they became even more bold and confident and certain in the message of the gospel that they themselves were also presenting to the people around them. Confident in the fact that only the gospel of Jesus had the power to change and transform any and every life. Confident in the truth that only the gospel can bring hope. Only the gospel can bring peace. Only the gospel can bring comfort. Only the gospel can bring healing. Only the gospel can bring true freedom. Only the gospel can bring life. Only the gospel can bring renewal. Only the gospel can bring grace and redemption into your life. And then check this out in verse 15. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ. So some indeed preach the gospel from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Paul was so confident in the message and the power of the gospel that even when he found out people were preaching it with the wrong motives, he rejoiced. Why? Because he knew man's motives can't stop God's message from accomplishing its purpose. Is anybody in this room tonight thankful that man's motives can't stop God's message? He was certain of the message. You know, any business majors in here, marketing majors, you know the easiest products to sell are the ones you actually use? My wife, for example, does the whole essential oils stuff. And that's, that's all good and well. She started using the oil. Somebody got her started on it. And 
she began to find out that for her they really were effective and they were beneficial and she could see how it enhanced her quality of life. And so she began to sell that product as well, not for the sake of making a profit or to increase our bank account bottom line or anything like that, but because she had seen the benefits and effectiveness of them and she's confident in their ability to work and to truly help people. And if you were to look at Young Living's company on their website from time to time, Time to time, they will post testimonial videos of people who have used the product and will testify of the benefits and the effectiveness of how it enhanced their quality of life. And I'm not saying that the gospel is a sales pitch we give to someone as if it's a product we're trying to get them to buy. But as those who have truly experienced its power to change and redeem and transform and make new and set free. As those who have seen the benefits, so to speak, we should be confident and certain of the message that we are sent to proclaim. We should be giving testimony of the salvation and goodness of our God. And what we as a church should find is that it's really not that difficult to step out and give testimony of God's goodness and his gospel if we have indeed experienced and seen the benefit and experienced all that it has brought into our lives. The question then becomes, I guess, have you experienced it? Have you received true salvation? And if you have, kind of in just a real bad analogy kind of way, I guess, Are you using the product? Or has the gospel of Christ, has his salvation that he has brought into your life, has the Holy Spirit, let me say, indwelling inside of you, just become a commodity that sits on a shelf that you pick up and use from time to time? A manner of life worthy of the gospel? Listen, a manner of life worthy of the gospel is one that is confident in the gospel. In this particular arena, our life should be marked by certainty, not timidity. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of salvation unto all people. As God's kingdom people stand and deliver his gospel message with confidence and certainty, men and women. We should have confidence that's built upon the Messiah, but we should also have confidence in the message that we proclaim. And then to bring things to a finish on top of all these other things, our confidence should increase because it causes us to have an unwavering in the mission that we've been called to carry out. When you carry a confidence in Christ and a certainty in the message, it will keep you unwavering in the mission. Go look at verse 20 with me. Paul says that is... My eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Then listen to verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, even after all that he had recently been through. And while he was sitting in prison, Paul held a confidence that kept him unwavering in the mission of making disciples. 
And he was confident in the ultimate success of that mission that Jesus would bring about. If I live, he says, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul had an expectation that came from his confidence that as long as Jesus had him here on this earth, that meant fruitful labor, not unproductive labor. Paul had an expectation, Paul had a confidence that while he was here on this earth, Jesus would use him to plant seeds that would lead to a harvest of souls. And if Paul would have lost that confidence in the mission that Christ placed on him, it would have been super easy for him to accept what seemed like the reality of his demise and give up and quit. You ever felt like quitting from time to time? You ever felt like throwing in a towel and on this making disciples stuff? You just get fed up from time to time? Because you feel like you're beating your head on the wall? Because you pray and 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 there never seems to be any change. There never seems to be any response. There never seems to be any difference that takes place. Would have been easy for Paul to accept what seemed like a dark reality and just give up in that prison cell. But he was convinced that Jesus was going to bring about success and that lost souls would indeed be saved. Now fast forward to us in the modern day. The mission is still the same. To go and make disciples, to introduce people to Jesus and let them know about the love of the Father, especially considering what we're fixing to celebrate this Sunday. The mission is still the same, but there's a couple of things I fear have crept into our outlook of it. I want to share with you what I think those two things are real briefly because they're concerning when it comes to us holding fast and running our race with endurance and finishing strong, carrying out the mission that God has left us with. The first one is this. I'm afraid that we're becoming too apprehensive. Our outlook on the mission is becoming too apprehensive. In other words, we're too afraid that something bad is going to happen or that something wrong is going to take place. So as we look at the mission that Christ has given us to go and make disciples, we see that and we become apprehensive and our fears overwhelm us and we think, well, if I put myself out there, something might happen. I might face rejection. I might face recall. I might lose some status. I might lose some popularity. I might lose some relationships along the way. And so we become apprehensive when we look at the mission and we pull back in fear because we're afraid something bad might happen or something might go wrong. That we might do or say something that somehow leads somebody astray that's already astray. We're too apprehensive. And the second thing I feel like is creeping in is that we're becoming too apathetic. When we look at the mission that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples, we're becoming too apathetic. In other words, we've lost interest. There's no enthusiasm for evangelism inside the church anymore. And on top of that, there's no expectation in a lot of cases that 
anybody will even come to know Christ. Listen to me, guys. I've, I've been and sat inside of ministry meetings where we plan an event or we organize a service or we made a, a plan to go out and do a community block party and we got all excited about that event and then when it came time to do it, we prayed over a little bit and then we said, well, we'll just see whatever happens, happen. Maybe somebody will come to know Jesus. To be honest with you, I'm kind of tired of the maybes. I don't want to be a part of a body of believers who get together and, and gather in groups like this in a room this size with this many people. And we put together our minds to go out and do missions, to go out and do ministry with the mindset that maybe somebody will come to Christ. Paul was confident that souls would be saved. He had an expectation. If I live, that means fruitful labor. So for us here in the modern day, as long as Christ has us here, that means fruitful labor for us. We should have an expectation. We should have an enthusiasm. We should have an interest and a burden and a passion for lost souls and stop being so apathetic to the thought that there's people around us in our classrooms, at our workplace, sitting across from you at the table, at your family dinners that are lost without Christ and going to hell and not having any confidence in the power of the gospel to save them. If we have no more expectation than what we have, then why do we do the stuff that we do? Push back on your apprehensiveness. Push back on being apathetic because this shouldn't be the case. Our manner of life should hold confidence in the ultimate success of the mission. Scatter enough seed, and I promise you some will sprout and take root and grow. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying everything's going to be a revival. Paul understood that as well as anybody. Not every mission trip ended up in a Pentecost event where thousands of people got saved. But does numbers determine the success? Now, as a matter of fact, when Jesus is making reference to people coming to salvation, he says, Narrow is the way, and few who find it. Narrow is the door, and few go through it. Scatter enough seed, and I promise you some will sprout and take root and grow. But have a confidence so that we will not waver in the mission that Jesus has given us. Live with a manner of confidence. Just make sure it's in all the right places. Our lives should carry a confidence that's built on the Messiah, certain of the message, and keeps us unwavering in the mission. Men and women of God, please find your manners. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.